Welcome to From Florida, where you'll learn how minds are connecting, great ideas are colliding, and groundbreaking innovation is becoming a reality because of the University of Florida. I'm your host, Nikki Brown. Now, Halloween is just around the corner, and we thought we'd take a moment to learn about a creature often associated with this time of year, bats. Here's a fact many people may not know. The University of Florida is home to the world's largest occupied bat houses. There are two bat barns and a bat house just across from Lake Alice on Museum Road, and they are home to hundreds of thousands of these flying mammals. Our guest today is Verity Mathis, Mammal Collections Manager at the Florida Museum of Natural History. Verity, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So how did we come to have three bat barns on our campus? So back in 1991, there was a colony of Brazilian free-tail bats that were roosting in the stadiums at the track stadium and the tennis stadium. And as you can imagine, when you have a large colony of bats, they make a lot of uh, mess and smell. If you've ever gone past the bat houses, um, you know what I'm talking about. And so the Athletics Association decided to try to build a house to rehome those bats. So they built the house, and funnily enough, they transported all these bats into the new house, excluded them from the stadiums, and then the night after they transported them, they all left. And they didn't come back for three years. But then finally, in 1995, the bats started recolonizing the bat houses on their own, and they've made it a permanent home now. And so then in 2010, they built the bat barn to help give the bats some more space. And then in 2017, they built the new bat house, and that was built with the intention of eventually tearing down the original bat house, which is becoming really deteriorated and getting to the point where it's probably going to have to come down. And so they're hoping the bats will colonize that new house. So from what I understand, there are more than 1,400 species of bats. Um, Would you tell us more about the ones that live here on the UF campus? Yeah. So like I mentioned, the bat houses are primarily occupied by Brazilian free-tail bats, which are one of the most common bat species in North America. They're definitely the most common one here in Florida. And that's the majority of bats that you see around, probably around town and in just pretty much anywhere. And then there are also a couple other species that you might see coming out of the bat house. There's the southeastern myotis, which is um, in, in smaller numbers. I think the estimates I read were maybe like 100 or so might colonize that house. And then you might also get a few evening bats as well. But by and large, when you're seeing bats coming out of that house, it's going to be the Brazilian free tail. I understand they're really quite amazing when it comes to flight. They are. So bat species, all of them are capable of different, you know, heights of flight and types of flight. But the Brazilian free-tail bat that we have here is actually really remarkable. Not only is it capable of long-distance flight, so within a night, it can, you know, go 30 miles or so foraging looking for insects. But it's also capable of very high-altitude flight. So the species out west that are migrating, they've been documented to migrate um, up to like 9,000 feet in the air, 10,000 feet in the air, which is really, really high. Um, And in fact, when they're doing these migrations, sometimes if there's enough numbers of them, they actually show up on the radar, the weather radars. And you could see like these masses moving through the air. And they're also really fast flyers. Um, So this particular species, normally it can maybe fly like around 60 miles an hour is probably like maybe top speed, but it's actually been documented to go as fast as 100 miles an hour in like short bursts, which is just amazing to think about. This one species is just capable of so much. As you can probably tell from my accent, I grew up in Australia and we have the flying fox there. Oh, you're so lucky. (laughs) (laughs) One of the largest bats. But how big are the bats here at UF in comparison? 
they are really small in comparison. So the ones that you have over in Australia, which are the, the flying foxes, those are what we kind of call megabats. You know, they're huge. They can have a six foot wingspan. You compare that to the bats we have here in Florida, which are much, much smaller. You know, they might have, I don't know, the wingspans vary depending on the species, but you know, anywhere from like maybe like six inches or nine inches, something like that. They're maybe a little bit bigger, but they're really, they're small bats here. They call them microcryopterans, which is hard to say. But <laughs> um, so yeah, they're they're a lot smaller. And then even when you look at their wings, the structure of of what are called wings, but really they're like hands. They are, and they are our hands. Um, they have the exact same bone structure in their wings that we have in our hands. So they're they're the the thin bones that are in the actual wing membranes are their fingers. They're the same fingers that we have. Um, and in fact, the order of bats, the order is called chiropter. And that literally translates to hand wing. So that's the same morphology, just like the flipper in a whale is our fingers. It's all homologous. So can you tell us how many of them we actually have here? So the estimates vary, and I don't know the last time anyone has done a real uh, true estimate count, but we think that we have around 400 to 500,000 of the free-tail bats, and like I mentioned, maybe around 100 or so of the southeastern myotis. Um, and so that's a, that's a pretty good size. And the bat houses have the capacity, the two houses have the capacity to hold, I think, 750,000 bats. Wow. Um, and now that we have the third house, you know, we have even more capacity. Wow, so small bats, but large population. Yes. What's the typical behavior of these creatures? When you see them emerging for the evening, they're going out to forage. And so they're going out to look for insects. Um, so they come out and um, about 15 minutes after sunset is when you start to see the emergence. So that's a good time to go to the bat houses if you're trying to watch that. And then just throughout the night, they're going to be flying around looking for food. Um, they might come back to the roosts occasionally throughout the night. But the cool thing about the Brazilian free-tail bat is it is capable of really long-distance flight for a bat its size. It can fly over 30 miles a night just looking for food. So they're going to be ranging pretty far and they're feeding on insects. Um, all the bats we have here in Florida are insect eaters. So they're going to be looking for mosquitoes, for moths, beetles, flies, anything that they can find. Wow. So they are the only mammal that flies too, from what I understand. That's true. Yeah. They're the only one capable of powered flight. You know, we have gliding squirrel or flying squirrels, which really don't fly. They just kind of glide from tree to tree. Um, but they're the only one, bats are the only ones that are actual true flyers. So when they are out flying at night, when do they generally come back to roost? Right. Is it called roosting? Yeah, it's, it's roosting, yeah. So they're roosts, um, so the bats are roosting in the bat houses or in trees or in caves, depending on the species. So they'll forage frequently throughout the night. Sometimes they'll come back to the roost like every three or four hours maybe. And then they usually start to really head back for the for the morning or like, you know, we would say we're going home for the night. And, you know, they're going home for the day. Maybe like around, you know, three, four in the morning, they'll start making their way back. Although I've seen them out still foraging, you know, at 5.30, 6 in the morning when I'm walking my dog, when it's still dark outside. So there's still some late, you know, early, I don't know how you would call that early morning bats. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess it's all relative, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I think it's really important for us to recognize is the part they play in our ecosystem. How is the bat population doing in our state and are the colonies decreasing or are they increasing? Right. So bats are extremely important ecosystem service providers because they provide natural pest control. So the ones that we have here in on campus, the, the Brazilian free-tail bats, they're actually, they seem to be doing really well. They tend to lar roost in large numbers. Um, they seem to be have a pretty steady population. We have 13 species of bats here in Florida. They're all insectivorous, um, and we, but we have two that are federally endangered. 
Those are the, the gray bat, which is found in North Florida, and then the bonneted bat, which is only found down in South Florida. And the bonneted bat is kind of cool because it's the it's the only bat that is only found in Florida. It's not found anywhere else in the world. So that's what makes it special. So those two bats are, you know, over, um, of conservation concern and are being monitored. And FWC, which is the Florida Wildlife Commission, is actively looking at those populations. And they survey other bat populations as well. But for by and large, I think the Florida bats are doing really well. How does the weather affect their behavior? So they do tend to slow down on their emergence when it's cold outside, when it's rainy. The bats that we have here are active year-round, so they don't hibernate like uh, some bat species would up north because we just don't get cold enough for them to need to do that. You'll notice like if you go out on a really cold night, you probably won't see the same emergence numbers that you would see in the summertime. Um, but they are here year-round, so these the bats that we have here also don't migrate. So the same species of bat that you find out west will be migrating to Mexico during the wintertime, but here they're just year-round residents. And are there other bat houses in Electoral County? Um, there are. I mean, a lot of people have bat houses on their own properties, which is great, you know, and then some of the businesses are starting to put them up as well. So if you go to Swamp Head Brewery here in town, they have a really nice big bat house out in their area. And then we also have, um, we're really lucky to have Luby Bat Conservancy here in town. So not only do, are they doing really great conservation work for bats, like the flying foxes that you have in Australia, but they also are really active in building bat houses. And it sounds to me like that is something that you encourage is people setting up these bat houses in their yards. Absolutely, yeah. The one thing we do say is if you're interested in putting a bat house up in your yard, it's just to do your research and make sure that you're getting the right kind of house and putting it in the right kind of location because Florida does have a little bit more, maybe some more specific requirements just based on our temperature and, and, and just everything because Florida, you know, we're special. So um, so we there's some really good information out there on the web, um, especially if you go to uh, the UF IFAS website, which is the Institute for Food and Agricultural Services. They have a really good um, web page dedicated to bat houses in Florida and how to do it, what kind of design you want, you know, how high you want it, the direction it needs to face, because the bats do have very specific requirements. And, and what should you do if you encounter a bat? Well, number one is never handle it with your bare hands. Bats do carry rabies, so do almost all mammals. Maybe the exception could be made for the, uh, the possum, but bats are, you know, there are health risks, so you wanna be careful. Um, so what we usually tell people is, if you find an injured bat on the ground and it doesn't look like it's capable of flying, is to, you know, put on some nice thick gloves, get it into a container, maybe put a towel on there so it has something to hold on to, and then call your local wildlife rehab. So here in Alachua County, we have Florida Wildlife Care, and they're certified and trained on how to handle these bats. If you have a bat in your house and you're trying to figure out how to get it out of your house, you want to open up your windows, maybe open up your door, close any interior doors in your house to keep it in that room, and then kind of just like stand back and stay out of the way, and hopefully it'll get out on its own. If for some reason it lands on your curtains or on furniture and it's kind of just hanging out, put on those gloves again, get them into a container, and then you can take it outside and very carefully put it up on a tree or some other vertical surface because bats really aren't great at taking off from the ground. They have to kind of like be up in a nice vertical surface and then they can uh, fly away. So you just want to kind of get them into a place where they can do that. 
They have pretty amazing skills, though, in terms of not hitting people or running into people. And from what I understand, it's not likely that they will fly into you or anything like exactly. that. Exactly. That is a huge myth that bats will, like, get tangled up in your hair or attack you. They're just trying to avoid you. And so the other, like, bats aren't blind. They have vision and they have echolocation, which is very, it's not unique to bats because um, whales and dolphins also have it. But it is really cool because they can, you know, emit these sonar signals and that bounces off things and tells them information as to what they're looking for. So it tells them if that's an insect they want to eat, if that's a tree they want to avoid. So they're really good at navigating the environment around them and they're going to avoid you if they can. Well, let's talk a little bit more about some of those myths because we know that bats feature quite prominently in popular culture, everything from being characterised as blood-sucking vampires to being represented by one of our greatest superheroes, Batman, and even being the namesake of an operetta by Johann Strauss, Die Fledermaus, which which translates directly, if I'm not wrong, to Fluttermouse, which I have to admit I love. Um, (laughs) Why were you so fascinated with bats and are we being fair? with these representations, especially the ones that we associate with evil things? Yeah, bats, they get probably the worst rap of almost any mammal I can think of. And it's very undeserved. And a lot of that has to do with pop culture and their long association with blood sucking and vampires. And the funny thing is, out of the 1,400 species of bats that there are in the world, only three of them are actual blood drinkers. And those are all found in South America, Central America. So it's not even a problem for North America. Like I mentioned before, they provide all these amazing ecosystem engineers of natural pest control. There are pollinator bats that are found in other places which help pollinate the plants around them, um, especially if you like tequila. Tequila is from agave, and agave is a bat pollinator obligate, so they have to be pollinated by bats. There's bats in tropical countries that eat fruit, and then they disperse the fruit um, and help the forest diversity that way. Their bat guano, the bat poop itself, is a really great fertilizer, so it's really helpful for gardens and things like that. So they do all these great things for us, and then they then we turn around and you know we're scared of them. You know we want to be respectful of them and of their their lifestyle and we don't want to encroach upon them and and bother them because like I mentioned, you know, there's always the possibility of, of, um, you know, handling a bat wrongly and getting bit by rabies, but that's actually not a very common thing that happens. I think, you know, as long as we kind of continue these conversations about telling people how cool bats are, then maybe eventually pop culture will catch up to that. Catch up, yeah. And I understand there is a a connection between our namesake Gatorade and bats. (laughs) Yeah, so um, one of the things that we sometimes do is, um, well, sometimes we find bats on campus that maybe aren't doing so great. They're found on the ground in the middle of the day and they um, need to get rescued. And so what we sometimes do is, you know, we'll get gloved up and get them into a box and then we'll get some Gatorade and just using a little dropper, like give them some Gatorade just to kind of give them some hydration, some, you know, some sugar just to perk them up a little bit. And that kind of helps them recover. And then we can then release them out into the into the woods here on campus and, and hopefully they can, you know, continue on their way. We used to have a... Um, a container of Gatorade in our work fridge that was just labeled bat juice. <laughs> oh my goodness, little bat athletes. Yeah. <laughs> um, are there any other interesting facts that you'd like to share with us? Um, oh my gosh, I could just, I probably could talk for hours about bats. Um, so like you mentioned, there's 1,400 species of bats, which makes them um, a quarter of all mammalian diversity in the world. Um, and they're the only ones that can fly, so how cool is that? But some things that people maybe might not know is um, bats are also extremely long-lived for their size. 
So when we think about, you know, small mammals like rats and, and other things like that, you know, they only live maybe a year or two in the wild. And bats can live decades. The oldest living bat that's known in the wild lived 40, over 41 years. Which is, and that was a small bat. That wasn't one of the big flying foxes, too. So that's pretty amazing that they can live for so long. And as a kind of a counterpoint to their long lives is they can only really, they only give birth maybe once a year to maybe one pup, maybe two. Um, sometimes if things are really great, they might give birth to twice a year, but I think that's pretty rare. So they, they have very low reproductive rates, but very long lives, which... Um, I don't know, that's kind of fascinating for such a small mammal because that's pretty opposite to everything we know about how size correlates to reproductive activity and how size correlates to age. Yeah, they're just, they're just, they're not rodents. People want to call them rodents. They're more closely related to humans than they are to rodents. So I want to circle back. How did Verity get involved with bats? <laughs> well, was there a young Verity that was fascinated or was it something that came upon you when you were studying? How did you get so enthralled with bats? Yeah, it kind of just came upon me through my job and through my, you know, how I just kind of came to Florida. Um, I actually, my background is actually more in rodents. Um, and then when I, I was working for a time in Mississippi and I started helping out our bat biologist there and just going out and getting to net bats with her and learning more about them, I really just got into it. And then when I came here, I just, I don't know, it just kind of happened that I started becoming more and more about bats. And, and then um, our curator of mammals, he had a active research program on bats in the Bahamas. So when I first started working here about seven years ago, I got to go on ships to the Bahamas where we were netting bats there. And that was just so much fun and really cool. And so just learning more about them through just, you know, through life, I guess. And if anyone who is listening wanted to share that passion and learn more about UF's bats and the bat barns, where can they go? So if you just go to your favorite search engine and just put in UF Bat Houses, that should take you directly to the website that we have for our, the museum hosts, a website about the bat houses. And it gives all the information about them that I talked about today and some more information as well. Um, I think that's probably the first hit you'll get when you uh, search for it. So that's probably a good resource to start. And then you can always just email or call me. Verity, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. It was awesome. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for joining us for an episode of From Florida, where we share the stories of faculty, researchers, students and administrators whose thought leadership is moving our state, our nation and our world forward. I'm your host, Nikki Brown. I hope you'll return for our next story of innovation from Florida.